The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Psalm 119, we're going to read verses 12 through 18. The Bible said, Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all thy judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as is in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. This morning, Pastor is going to come, and we're going to start to look at our approach to the Bible. Okay, there's two ways to look at the Bible. Um, one of the ways that I hear most commonly in, in churches is that the Bible is a roadmap to life. And, and I, I kind of understand what, what's trying to be communicated there, that, that if you need to know where to go, if you need to know what to do, if you need to know how to handle a situation, you go to the roadmap. You find where you are, and then you follow your way out. Now, I, I, I do get what's being communicated there, but I think there's some problems with that, namely that, that the Bible, when all said and done, is ultimately not about you and not about me, but rather about what God has done in Jesus Christ to reconcile the universe to himself and to reconcile mankind to himself. And so by viewing the scriptures in that way, I believe you kind of set yourself up for uh, heartache and despair. So let me let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you take a simple story like the story of uh, David and Goliath, uh, what, what a lot of people will do who view the Bible as a roadmap to life or who view the scriptures as rather that the Bible is about them is they'll take the story of David and Goliath and they'll make themselves David and they'll make Goliath whatever opposition they're fighting in their life. So maybe it's debt, maybe it's uh, difficult marriage, maybe it's something like that, but what they do is, I'm David, this is Goliath, so I need to go get my five stones, I need to figure out how I'm going to defeat this giant, and with God's power, I'm going to overcome this giant. And, and, and the reason I say that this view of the scriptures can set you up for despair and ultimately enslave you is, uh, what happens when your stone misses? Uh, what, what happens when you throw all five stones and all five stones miss? What, what happens when with all your effort and all your might and all your power, you don't slay the giant? Well, well, now there's guilt, now there's shame, now there's remorse, now there's frustration. Now there's, well, maybe this doesn't work. Where is God? How could he betray me like this? The story of David and Goliath is a picture of what Colossians would call a shadow of what was to come in Christ. So that, that Christ is the substance and David Goliath is, the story of David and Goliath is the shadow. So yes, David and Goliath, a historic actual occurrence, but in that God was communicating to us and to Israel that a Savior was going to come and was going to slay the giant of sin and death once and for all. And so what happens when we read the story of David and Goliath, you see that ultimately you're not David, that Jesus the Christ is David, and that Goliath is sin and death. You and I are Israel shaking in the corner, not knowing what to do, being afraid to combat, and Jesus comes and is our victor. And so what happens when we read the story of David and Goliath and don't see ourselves overcoming the giant, but rather see that God has made a provision for us in Christ and that Christ then overcomes the giant, our hearts are free to worship and make much of Jesus because it's not on us to overcome the giant, but rather we have a champion who will overcome the giant 
for us. So many of these great stories that we know and show how ultimately they're leading us to worship more what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, what God has accomplished in the gospel for us. Well, good morning, church, and I am looking forward to continuing through this series, Habits of Grace, as we just go one by one through different sacred rituals, spiritual disciplines that I hope will really, really cultivate a spirit of faith in and through our lives. Our theme for this particular series is simply this. Sacred practices are not about getting God to love you more. There is this erroneous philosophy out there that Bible reading and prayer and fasting is our way of trying to get God to love us more. But spiritual practices are not about getting God to love us more, but rather spiritual practices are about getting us to love Him more. So we could say conversely, sacred practices are not about getting God to enjoy us us more. Uh, We are the apple of his eye. He loves us. He cares for us. And so reading our Bible and praying is not about getting God to somehow like us more or enjoy us more, but rather it really is about getting us to enjoy his grace more and enjoy our relationship with him more. That is the purpose of spiritual disciplines. You see, sacred practices like prayer is not about necessarily getting us, getting God to bless bless us more, but rather conversely, it's getting us to a place where we're blessing him more, where we are worshiping him more, where we are praising him more, where we're thankful for him that much the more. That is the spirit of these habits of grace. And so this morning as we dive into the habit of grace that I believe is one of the most important in the life of a Christian, and that is how we engage the scriptures, how we engage the Bible, we're going to take a service here this morning, and we are going to talk about something very, very important, and that is our heart's approach to biblical disciplines, such as reading your Bible, such as meditating on the Word of God, such as studying the Bible, and uh, next week we're going to get very practical and talk about, maybe if you're new to the faith, where do I start with reading the Bible, and how do I study the Bible, and, and I hope there will be some practical things that will help those of you who have been saved for a month or two, or those who have been saved for decades or two, uh, just some practical things that will help you in how you engage your Bible study and Bible reading. But today, it's very, very, very important for us to understand that there has to be a proper approach to biblical disciplines. In fact, I would dare say that your approach to reading the Bible is as important, if not more important, than the actual thing itself. See, a lot of people read their Bible, they'll study the Bible, and yet because the heart is not in the right place, they do not get out of it what God desires for them to get out of it. So this morning, we're going to look at three ways We should approach the Bible if it's going to make a proper impact in our lives. So let's just dive into the Word of God. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter number 4. Hebrews chapter number 4. As we dive into this, Hebrews chapter number 4, here's what the Bible says in verse number 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Notice this. But the word preached did not profit them. I want to stop right there for just a second. Here were people who were engaging the Bible. 
Here were people who were, who were listening to Bible teaching, and yet the Bible says the word did not profit them. Why? Because it was not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Which leads us to our first big idea this morning, and that is this. If you're taking notes in your service program, jot this down. We must approach our Bibles with a heart posture of faith. And I cannot emphasize this enough. It's not just about, you know, going through the motions of reading your Bible. It's not just about getting Bible reading or Bible study checked off your list for that day as if you've done God some big favor or something. We literally need a heart of expectancy. We need a heart of anticipation. We need a heart of faith that really believes we're going to be fellowshipping with God through our time in his word. That has to become the posture of our heart or what's going to happen if 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 the posture of our heart is not that of faith and anticipation and belief. Guess what? When we engage the word, it is not going to have the impact. It's not going to make the difference in our lives that God would desire for it to make. We must approach our Bibles with a heart posture of faith. Turn over a couple pages to a Hebrews chapter number 10. It continues this thought. Hebrews 10 verse 22 says, let us draw near, how? With a true heart in full assurance of faith. We need to go forward with a heart posture of faith that really believes, that is anticipating and expecting God to do something big. Can I ask you this question? When you enter into Bible reading, when you enter into Bible study, when you begin to meditate on God's Word, do you enter into it with a heart of expectancy, of anticipation? Uh, Some of you would be familiar with the story from Matthew chapter number 13. It's often referred to as the parable of the seed and the sower. How many of you remember the story? The sower went out to sow seed, but not all of the seed took root. The seed in that parable represents the Word of God. Of course, in that story, as the Word of God was going forth, some felt on stony ground. It was a hardened heart, and so the enemy was able to snatch it away. Some, Some of the hearts were stony. Later on, Jesus would say what he's saying there, what he's trying to communicate is that their hearts were uh, crowded out with other things. People allowed distractions in their lives to keep that seed of the word of God from going down deep. And here's what I'm trying to say. The posture of your heart as you engage spiritual biblical disciplines are vastly important. Every once in a while you hear somebody say, you know what, I've just been reading my Bible and I I don't get anything out of it anymore. You'll hear people, I go to church now and the Bible's preached, but I'm just not being fed. Can I say this? That may have something to do with the condition of your heart. If you can open up this word, if you can sit under Bible teaching and Bible preaching and I don't think I'm fed, it might have something to do with the condition of your heart. 
as we go, whether it is when in, whether we go to our quiet time and open up the word of God, oh, it's so vital. Like what is said in Hebrews chapter number four, the word did not profit them. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. I'm here to say this. Every week, people sit in this room right here. The word of God is preached and it does not profit. Why? Because oftentimes the hearts of those sitting as the word of God goes forth is not being mixed with faith. It's not with a spirit of anticipation and a spirit of expectation and a belief that says, I'm, I'm going to get something from God's word today. And so we're able to walk out the back doors. Eh, wasn't fed today. And, and we have a thousand reasons as to why that may or may not be so. But I'm going to ask you this. When you come in to the word of God and you're opening up the word of God and when you're spending time coming to church and can I, can I ask you, do you come with a spirit of faith? Do you come with a spirit of anticipation, with expectation that really believes, I want to spend time with God. I want to hear from his word today. Because if that's not the heart posture, guess what? It won't profit you. That's what the word of God says. Let us draw with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Believing that when God's word goes forth, it's going to accomplish whithersoever it was sent to do. Romans chapter number 4 verse 23 says, gets, this, is, this is pretty intense. If we're, if we're approaching the word of God, whether it be in our personal Bible reading, whether it's in personal study or meditation or memorization or even in the preaching environment, but if we do not approach that with the spirit of faith, the Bible says in Romans 14, whatsoever is not a faith... sin do you realize (laughs) this is going to kind of throw some of us for a little loop it's possible to sit here in a service and sin if you're not coming with a heart posture of faith anticipation expectation belief that we're going to that when God's word goes forth that when God's word is shared it's going to make an impact. It, it, you say, well, then if, if reading my Bible in the mornings and I'm not getting anything out of it, sin, then I just won't do it. <laughs> that probably is a sin too. <laughs> the answer is not to not go to church. The answer is not to stop reading. The, I'm going to stop reading my Bible. I'm going to stop studying the Word of God. That's not the answer. The answer is to say, dear God, open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy word. God, fill my heart with faith. Lord, help me to anticipate and expect to hear from you. I'm tired of a heart that's cold. I'm tired of a heart that no longer is receiving from your word. God, I pray that you would just stir something up in my life. Help me to anticipate and expect and believe that when your word is going forth, it can make an impact in my life. For the word preached did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So, how does the Bible stir up our love and affection for Jesus? It's a valid question. We must approach our Bibles with a heart posture of faith, regardless of what biblical discipline we're talking about. 
It's got to be done with a spirit of faith. This is so, so important. Don't let another person rob you of your faith. You come to church and there's another person at church that's frustrating you and upsetting you. And all of a sudden you let that person rob you of a spirit of anticipation and expectation that you're going to receive something from God's word. Don't allow that to take place. You say, how does this actually work? How does reading the Bible stir up our love and stir up our affection for Jesus? Because that's what this is all about. We don't read our Bibles to check it off a to-do list, just to kind of get something done. No, these spiritual disciplines are to stir up our love for God, to help us to enjoy Him more. When you read your Bible, when you come to church and open up the Word of God, there should be something in this grace that really does help you to enjoy Jesus more. That's the spirit of it. But how does that happen? Turn over, if you would, to Luke chapter number 24. Luke chapter number 24. catch you up on the story here jesus has been crucified he's risen from the dead and there are two disciples walking down the road to emmaus all of a sudden a man begins to walk with them at the moment they did not realize that the man that was walking with them was the risen savior they didn't understand this but here's what the bible says in the middle of this story luke 24 verse 27 on the road to emmaus And he, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. You say, what's the big deal with that verse? Uh, Look at it again. Jesus literally went to the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then he went through the prophets, the minor prophets, the major prophets, these books found in the Old Testament. And so he takes them to the minor prophets, he takes them to the major prophets, he takes them to the Pentateuch, and Jesus, here's what the Bible says, he then begins to expound, he begins to preach and teach to them in all the scriptures, notice this, the things concerning, this is interesting, himself. Jesus was literally teaching these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He goes to the Old Testament and he says, hey, all of it is about me. This is, this is profound. This is huge. You see, my friend, the whole Bible is an epic story of redemption with Jesus as its primary character. The primary character of the Bible is not Joseph or Moses or Abraham or David. The primary story is not Job or Jonah or any of these other characters. The primary character of the word of God is the person of Jesus to the point where Jesus says, hey, all those things, the prophets and Moses, they're all about who? Guess who? They're They're all about me. Which leads us to our second thought this morning. And that is simply this. Yes, we must approach our Bibles with a heart posture of faith. If God's word's going to make an impact, we've got to approach it with faith. We've got to anticipate and expect to hear from God and to meet with him. Or else, you know what? If it's not a faith, sin. Secondly, we must approach our Bibles with eyes looking for Jesus. We must approach our Bibles with eyes that are looking for Jesus. He says, ah, Jesus said, I started in Moses. Then I went to the minor prophets, went to the major prophets, and I expounded unto them in all the scriptures these things concerning me. That's what the Bible's about. It's about Jesus. It's about him. 
And when we come to the word of God, we come with that spirit. Let's keep reading. Go over to Luke chapter number 24. Look at verse 44, a couple pages over. He says, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets. Notice this, and now he adds another group of books. And in the Psalms concerning me. Now here's the statement I want to make based on this. The Bible is not just a book about principles to live by. The Bible is primarily a book about a person to live for. And this is highly important if we're going to glean from the scriptures that which God wants us to glean. At the end of the day, this book is not a self-help manual. As we saw a minute ago by Pastor Chandler, the reality is this. If we approach the scriptures from that mindset... We set ourselves up for some dangers. At the end of the day, this book is not a self-help book. It's it's really more of a, a biography of sorts about a person named Jesus. And so when we enter into this book, we have, to, we have to enter into it with eyes looking for Jesus. Turn over to John chapter number 5. John chapter number 5, verse number 46. For had you believed Moses, this is the words here are in red, for those of you who have Bibles with words in red. For if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me. Why? <laughs> it says, for he wrote of me. Moses? A couple thousand years before Jesus came on the scene, Moses, yes, the Pentateuch was about Jesus. We can go on and on, and I don't need to preach a whole sermon about this, but I need you to understand that the Bible is a biography, and it's a biography about Jesus. And the moment you come to the Scriptures primarily as the self-help book that's going to make your life better and, and every day a Friday, the reality is you set yourself up for hardship. Because it is primarily a book about the person of Jesus. We don't read the Bible just to get through it. Man, praise the Lord. Get, man, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Get through the Bible. Go through. Some of you read the Bible every year. That's a good thing. But we don't just read the Bible to get through it. We read the Bible to get to Him. Every passage of the Bible is ultimately about Jesus. That's what Jesus believed. <laughs> that it was all about Him. This grand story, this grand narrative of redemption with the main character being Jesus. Let's throw this on the screen. The Bible is about more than just a bunch of principles. Are there principles? Yes. Ultimately, though, it's about a person. And that person's name is Jesus. Not just New Testament, not just epistles. The scriptures, the Psalms, the prophets, and Moses. The word of God is about Jesus. If all you and I needed was knowledge and understanding of a certain set of God-revealed principles for living, if, if, if all you and I needed were just some you know, tips to, to live better, if that's all we needed, can I say this? Jesus would not have needed to come. 
You needed more than just information. You need transformation. And transformation comes as you abide in the very real, near presence of a risen Savior. And his name is Jesus. He's the hero of his story. He's the hero of every story. The Bible is about Jesus. But here's what's crazy. Some of us have wired our brains and we rarely see Jesus in much of the Bible. We see ourselves. I need to do this, and I need to do that, and I need to do those things. Are there portions of the Bible that that is its purpose? Yes. Hermeneutically speaking, using proper biblical interpretation techniques, there are passages that are instructive and edificational in nature. But too often we go and we broad brush the whole thing, and too often we miss out being wowed in wonder by who Jesus really is. Let's keep going. Enlightenment to spiritual principles are only as valuable as its ability to usher us into the abiding presence of Christ again and again, and again. That's what this book is for. This book is ultimately to usher you into the presence of Jesus. That's why God gave us this book. So we could be, we could be saturated by his grace. That we could just uh, uh, literally drown ourselves in the glory of all that he is. See, now when we do that, that in turn puts us in a position to experience the empowering grace of God afresh and anew. More than you need to be exposed to a principle, you need to be exposed to a person. You need to be exposed to grace. And his name is Jesus. Get, man, develop a mindset. Develop a biblical, fancy word, hermeneutical worldview. That's how you interpret the scriptures in a way that allows you to see Jesus again and again and again because it's about more than just a principle. It's about a person and his name is Jesus. Now, let me just do this for a moment to illustrate. I wanna, I wanna show you a video that I, I think will help to really help us to get a glimpse of really how Jesus is all throughout the scriptures and how the Psalms and how the prophets and how the books of Moses really do point to something. You see, Jesus was the substance and much of what we find in the Old Testament is the shadow. Some scholars call it the foreshadowing. So how do we find Jesus in the Bible? 66 books. Dozens of authors, a holy canon thousands of years in the making. Consider the works, accounts of history and law, prophecy and poetry, verses of wisdom and letters from friends. Now, look again. What do you see? Behind the fallen creation, where the first son Adam led all humanity astray, there is the faithful son, a new Adam, who fulfills the promise and crushes the serpent's head. In the waters of the flood, just as God used Noah to save his family from judgment, there is a greater vessel by which all God's children are saved. On the altar of desperation, just as Isaac asked his father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice, comes the answer from the wilderness, behold the lamb. For a thirsty people, just as Moses struck the rock in the wilderness, there is a rock whose living water satisfies forever. 
in the battle against Goliath, where an unlikely king became a champion for his people, we see the shadow of a greater king who defeats sin and death to claim our victory. In the long exile of a people, Isaiah's eyes were opened to a vision of salvation and the eternal journey of God's people to the promised land. Until finally, in humble manger lay the hope of the world, the king who reigns from a throne of straw to Calvary's cross to the deathless tomb of eternal Easter. Every story casts his shadow. Every word, every verse bears his testimony. The Holy Messiah, Jesus Christ, eternal King. It was the great theologian and prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, late 1800s, who said this. Cut the Bible anywhere, and it will bleed the blood of Jesus. The Bible is not primarily about you. The Bible is primarily about Jesus. Now let me just give this as a caveat here quickly, all right? While as we go to the Word of God, there is a place for practical application of the Word of God. We can go to books like Proverbs, and we can go to books like James that are intended for that purpose of edification, that have very practical implications to our daily lives. What I am trying to say is this. While there's a place for practical application, just not at the expense of being in awe of the primary subject of the scriptures, and that is Jesus. It is very vitally important that when you go to this book, that you see Jesus, that you are drawn toward his essence, that you are drawn toward his character, and that when you abide in this book, you are abiding with him. John chapter number one, verse one says, in the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. This book is ultimately about Jesus. And yet it's 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse 1, that gives us a warning. We don't just read the Scriptures just for the purpose of accumulating more Bible facts. And I'm going to say this, and this might sound strong, but it's important for us to hear Without a heart posture of humility as we engage the scriptures, without a heart posture of faith as we read and study God's word, Bible reading actually has the potential to simply make us into more legalistic Pharisees. It is vitally important as as we approach this book that we approach it in the spirit and in the heart, and with a spirit of faith and humility that God desires for us to approach it to, that we really are approaching it in faith, that we are really looking not just to find another to do so we can feel superior over somebody who doesn't do, but that our hearts would be stirred and our affections would be developed for the person of Jesus. That when we get done in this book, it's, it's not like, wow, look what I learned today. No, it's like, this is, I'm, I'm more in love with this person. I've spent time with him. My affections for him have been stirred. You say, why is it, why is it so important? First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 says this, knowledge, knowledge can puff up. 
Some of the most proud, arrogant people I've ever met in my life knew the Bible extremely well. You say, well, then we, let's not study the Bible. That, we don't want to be arrogant and puffed up. No, that's not the answer either. The Bible says study to show yourself proved unto God. It's a, it's a good thing to study his word, to read his word. You say, where's the balance? The balance is found in the heart posture in which we approach the scriptures. A heart posture of humility that says, God, open thou mine eyes. A heart posture of faith that says, God, I need this to be mixed with faith when I open your word to read it and to study it and to listen to Bible teaching. Because if there's no faith, it will not profit. I'll walk away like, oh, there I go again, not being fed. We have an opportunity to hear from God. The last couple of weeks, I've had the opportunity to disciple some young Christians. And uh, uh, there's one individual that I'm, I'm discipling with, and just, we're just having a great time. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting down, and he said to me, he said, <laughs> I just thought this was so profound. He was saying, hey, I was, I was reading my Bible, and I'd encouraged them with different books to read, and we get together on a weekly basis, and we were just helping each other. And, and he says, I was reading the Bible, and as I was reading it, I began to sense in my spirit that I was reading it so I could impress my connection group, Bible study. Like, he's young in the faith, and he, 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 there was probably this desire for some affirmation and acceptance from his group, and he's trying to grow in the faith. And, and he says, as I was reading the Bible, I caught myself like, oh, and then, I, you know, then, and then my, you know, my Bible study leader, he'd be impressed if I, if I read it and learned it and developed it and things like that. And, it was just like, and then he said, as I was reading, he said, it was like, the, like God just impressed on my heart. That's not why I spend time in the Bible. And he said it was just like that. The Holy Spirit was like, no, it's not about a connection group leader. It's not about impressing a Bible group. All my affirmation comes from Christ. This is all just about spending time with him and learning to love him more because he loves me so much. Here's a Christian who's been saved a couple of months already understanding the, the heart posture of how we go to this book. Here's what happens. We're, we're saved for a while, and all of a sudden, our heart posture begins to change. What we began to do in faith, what we began to do in humility, all of a sudden, over time, we don't even realize it, and we start approaching the scriptures with different sets of motives and with different sets of values. And before we know it, we don't even realize it. We're, we're ignorant of the fact that all of a sudden, now we're approaching it, and we, we're approaching it so we can get affirmation from this person or because it's our duty, and we gotta, we gotta, we gotta reinforce our identity, and, and part of how we reinforce our identity is good Christians read their Bibles, so that's why they read the Bible because good Christians read their Bible. It's not to abide with Christ. It's not to get to know him more. It's to affirm a fleshly identity that this is what good people do. That's the wrong reason to approach the scriptures. Motives matter in the Christian life and the only motive that will pass the test is whether you eat or whether you drink. Do it all to the glory of God. That is the motive to know him and the power of his resurrection, to, to behold him high and lifted up. That's what it's all about. We must approach our Bibles with a heart posture of faith. We must approach our Bibles with eyes looking primarily for Jesus. Are you, are you abiding with Jesus in these moments? And then third, and this is, if you get nothing else, get this. This is big. This is really, really big. Turn over in your Bibles if you've got them. I, I love to hear turning pages. We put these on the screens for some of our guests and from, for some of our visitors. But man, if you're a member or a regular attender, man, get your Bible. And, and get, let's, let's move through this. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 18. 
This is huge. How do we approach the scripture so that it profits? He says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 8, but we all with open face, get this, beholding, this is big, underline that word, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. We're changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You say, what are you saying? Let me say it again. But we, beholding the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image. Let me say it again. This is big. But we, beholding the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image. Let me say it this way. What we behold affects how we behave. What we behold affects how we behave. You see, this is, this, is, this is the core of my teaching philosophy. That at the end of the day, I believe you become like what you focus on. You become like what you abide with. You don't necessarily become long-term what you put on a checklist. You don't ultimately become long-term what principles you glean. Ultimately, what you become is what you focus on. Better yet, who you focus on. So gleaning and applying a principle is a wonderful thing, just not at the expense of beholding your risen Savior. That is the ultimate goal of the Scriptures. That's what this is saying. But we, beholding the glory of the Lord, that's how we're changed into His same image. Not through to-do lists. Not through pulling yourself up by the bootstrap saying, I can do this. No, you become what you behold. But if you do not have, a, 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 if you don't know, have a perspective of Bible reading that helps you to behold the glory of the Lord, if you can read for days in your Bible and not behold the glory of Jesus and not be awed by his splendor and his wonder, but all you see is just a bunch of rules, a bunch of to-dos and do-nots. You'll be able to consciously grab a principle for an hour or two. But long-term spiritual maturity takes place by beholding God. Now get the, please do not walk out of here saying, well, pastor doesn't believe in applying the principles of the Bible. I am not saying that. But what I am saying is there is a priority and the priority is Jesus. And he is everywhere. If you're looking for him, he is there. Which brings us to our final idea this morning, and that is this. We must approach our Bibles with a life willing to be transformed by grace. It's not, about, it's not rules that will ultimately change you. It is a relationship with the risen Savior. That is what ultimately changes the heart. If rules ultimately changed people, we wouldn't need prisons. What changes somebody's heart? That is to say, I, I know heart's a big word, but what changes somebody's values 
and their motives and their beliefs and their identity. I believe all those things, when I, when I say the word heart, that's what I'm talking about. What's going to change your priorities and what's going to change what's important to you is not a to-do list. What will ultimately change you is beholding the glory of your God like Isaiah seeing God high and lifted up. It wasn't until Isaiah got a glimpse of God with the angels flying right about him saying, holy, holy, holy was his life ultimately changed. It wasn't until Moses beheld the glory of the Lord in that burning bush that his life was ultimately changed. It wasn't until Until Saul, on the road to Damascus, beheld the glory of the Lord, that his life was ultimately be changed. Because what you behold affects how you behave. What are you beholding? Do you see the glory of the Lord as you read through its pages? We change, my friends, from the inside out, not the outside in. Well, I'm going to make myself do this. That's the flesh. And then maybe eventually I'll want to. <laughs> no. <laughs> you say, God, by faith, I believe that my new name wants to. And by faith, I respond, believing that that is who I really am. That is who I really am. That's what truly motivates me. First John chapter number three, if you want to turn over, says this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6 says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. You want to know how to ultimately get victory over sin? Spend time, lots of time abiding with Jesus. The problem is some of us go to this Bible and all we see are rules. We've literally programmed our brain to literally edge Jesus out and make it all about trying to find one thing that day that I can add to my to-do list to make me a better person. But ultimately what will change you is who you behold. To see God high and lifted up. You get a glimpse of God that is real and organic and natural, I'm telling you what, you won't be able to help but be changed. When you see God for who he really is, When you see him in his awe and his wonder and his splendor, you, like Isaiah, will also say, here am I, send me. Because beholding God for who who truly is, you don't get in the presence of God and stay the same. It changes you. It changes you deeply. This is how the Bible operates in changing people. Some people think, I got a little checklist, and every day I add one more thing to that checklist, and I'll just build it up until I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a good civilized individual. Ultimately, the way the Bible changes us is every time we go into it, we're abiding with Christ, we're seeing Jesus, we're seeing his words, and as we abide with his words, we're abiding with him. It literally change, starts to change us from the inside out. All of a sudden, we're reading, and we're, as we're abiding with him, and we're seeing his glory and his wonders and plunder, he, it starts changing our values, what's important to us. What used to be important to us isn't important to us anymore. What, what used to motivate us doesn't motivate us anymore. What we want for our kids is now different because we're abiding with Jesus, because we're spending time with him. What used to mean so much to us doesn't mean as much to us anymore. And all of a sudden, as our heart, values, motives, worldview, identity, the core essence of who we are, as that begins to change, guess what? 
their behaviors just start to follow suit. You don't have to make a list of 25 things to do better. You don't want to do those things anymore. You just want to be with Jesus. You just want to honor him in everything you do. It's not about rules. It's not about obeying a rule. It's about loving the ruler. It'll get you to the same place behaviorally. But I'll tell you what, the person who takes this route there will not be filled with pride. They will not become arrogant and self-righteous. They will not have an entitlement mentality, you know, stirred within them. Yes, on the outside, the two, the, each root, if you take the, the legalistic path of trying to build rules and follow the principles, and you just take the beholding of God, your life might look the same on the surface, but on the inside, it'll be so different. There will be a humility in this person. There'll be an ability to easily forgive because you know you've been forgiven them so much. It'll be easy to pass on mercy because you're very aware of all the mercy that your heavenly Father showed you. There'll be faith because you've beheld him again and again and again. You've seen him high and lifted up and that faith just wells within your soul. It'll look the same, but it'll be vastly different underneath. The Bible says the word of God is quick, it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, this is Hebrews 4, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let me make this statement based on that verse. If the Bible only demanded that you change, that would be pretty discouraging. If all the Bible did was say, do this and do this and do this and do that and don't do and don't do and don't, that would be highly discouraging. But the fact that the Bible actually changes you, that's pretty energizing. That as we behold his glory in his word, we are changed into the likeness of his glory. That's encouraging. That's energizing. God changes me from the inside out. All of a sudden, it's not just that I got to make myself do things I don't want to do. He changes what I want to do. He changes my motives. He changes my desires. It's not like, well, I don't want to do this for God, but it's a good thing to do, so I'm just going to make myself do it. No, you, you behold his glory, and all of a sudden, you're going to find you just want to. You want what God wants. You desire what he desires. You're motivated by what motivates him. You value what he values. And guess what? You, as you behold him, you're changed into his glory. That, my friend, is the biblical paradigm of spiritual maturity. That is how biblical maturity takes place. You behold his glory. You remind, this is, that's who I am. In Christ is who I am. By faith, I believe that. And then you respond in trust to what he declares to be so. Oh, that the Bible commands us to change. That could be discouraging, but that he actually changes us. That's energizing and encouraging. You see, just for me, and I don't know if you've had this experience, but as I read through my Bible, and I, I praise God, that partly because of the role I have as a pastor, I can spend several hours a day just studying and reading, and I'm so thankful for the privilege that that is. But... The more I view the Bible, I will say this, the less I see great men of God. I used to look at David, man, 
be like David. Very few wives in here want their husband to be like David. The more I read the Bible, the less I see great men of God and the more I see great God of men. A great God of men. A God that is merciful to sinners. A God that is sovereign when everything seems to be going wrong, like the case of Joseph. A God who's in control and who's provident. I see less of great men of God and I'm seeing a whole lot more. A great God of men. Remember, Christianity's first call is not behave. That's religion's first call. And if that's the way you see the world, then you've bought into a religion regardless of what they put on the sign. Christianity's first call is not to behave. Christianity's first call is to behold your God. How do we approach the scriptures? It's it's important, my friends. We approach it with a spirit of faith, believing that God's word will not return void. Expectation, anticipation. We enter into it with eyes looking for Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the main character in this autobiography called God's Word. And then we surrender ourselves to allow His words to discern the thoughts and intents of our hearts, changing us from glory to glory from the inside out, allowing Him to do a work in us and submitting and yielding to that work. Letting him, letting him change us. So I want to say this as we end. Can I encourage you to prioritize the sacred habit of spending time in God's word? It's big. How did we do this last week at prioritizing this book? I'm not trying to guilt trip, but if, if we had to, if we looked at Netflix compared to Bible, Facebook, you say, well, you're getting a little, you're, you're trying to guilt trip a little. I'm, I'm really not. I'm just trying to get us to think. This, is, this, this has the ability to change lives. But we've got to prioritize the sacred habit. It's not earning your love. If you read the Bible this week or if you don't, it's not like God loves you any more or any less, okay? I, I'm not, we're not even trying to say that. But I promise you this. You spend more time in God's word this week with a heart full of faith, with a posture looking for Jesus, I guarantee you, you will probably love and your affections for Christ will be a little bit more stirred next week than they were last week. That's, that's what I am saying. You'll enjoy your Christian life a little bit more than you did last month. You'll experience life and life more abundantly. That's, and that's what it's all about. Can I encourage you to prioritize the sacred habit of spending time with God and by faith, allow him to stir up your love and stir up your affection for him. The habit of grace, spending time in his word by prioritizing the word of God. Why? Because Christianity's first call is not behave. The first call is to behold. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.